Hi, I'm Dawn. And I'm Ashabi. Welcome, Welcome to Beyond, Beyond Queer, Queer Stories, Stories, where we feature a storyteller from the community every week to get to know them and hear about their experiences beyond sexual orientation and gender identity. <laughs> Today we have Lindsay Ennett, who can be seen reading around Chicago at shows like Outspoken, You're Being Ridiculous, Story Jam, and this one, and next to you at your favorite bar, skipping over all your songs on the jukebox. She has a weakness for reality competition shows and cries an average of four times during every episode of American Ninja Warrior. To start us off, the first question is, what identities do you feel most influence your experiences? Oh, that is a really good question. I would say this may sound kind of strange, but the first one that's coming to my head is Midwesterner. Um, I you know, grew up in the Chicago area. I went to school in central Missouri. I have lived in Chicago proper for the past seven years, and I just feel like the Everything from the Midwestern sensibility, like the both the genuine niceness and the like grating politeness, even when it doesn't always feel so natural, like feels like very much kind of like in my DNA, yeah. even just the the ope. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, gotta, gotta <laughs> start past you and uh, grab the, the ranch dressing. <laughs> nice. Um, so I don't know, that was like the first word that kind of came to my head in terms of, uh, my sexuality. I identify as queer. I find myself using different words around different people because like, I find myself switching off between gay, queer, bisexual, which I mean, queer is probably the most accurate, but in terms of how I think the people around me will have an understanding of those terms and those, you know, classifications. So um, I think those are the two that, that kind of jumped out at me. Cool. So it makes me think, I know people define queer differently. How do you define queer? Um, in terms of specifically as a, as a sexual identity, I, I like to say I go by the person. Um, I am a cis woman married to a cis woman, but I am attracted to and could, you know, see myself being in relationships with people of all genders. I think, you know, gender and sexuality are very much a spectrum and that identity takes a lot of different forms and it can look different for an individual person at different points in their life. And in terms of, I also see it as a cultural and political identity a little bit that you know thinking about it in terms of i feel like the like thinking about myself as a queer person and thinking about the people in my life who are queer people i think of it a lot more as being on a continuum of looking you know back to like a very specific like historic experience and i know that experience looks different for every queer person based on, you know, personal experiences as well as, you know, geography, history, being at the intersection of other um, marginalized identities. But I don't know, it 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 feels there's something about it that that feels unifying and feels like you're a part of something and and part of of a like political and cultural continuum and it also makes me feel like I have a responsibility to show up for other queer queer people, whatever that looks like in terms of, you know, engaging 
politically, you know, whether it's calling my, you know, calling my representatives, donating, showing up to demonstrations for a variety of issues, educating myself on the experiences of other queer folks, which is why this podcast is so cool, because it's just another means of getting us to listen to each other and hear each other's stories. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. Cool. So what's your least favorite song to see in the jukebox quay? Uh, least favorite song to see in a jukebox queue. Oh my gosh, that's such a good <laughs> question. <laughs> I have to think about this for a Before second. I, <laughs> I want to be careful about how I talk about this because I don't want to ick anybody's gum <laughs> when it comes to music. But I have to say, the I'm going to say the first thing that comes to my head, which is I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. Really? <laughs> yeah. I've, and it's... Nothing personal. I know a lot of people love that song. It's just, it's the New Year's Eve of songs. Okay. I yeah. can see that. My wife always jokes about how New Year's Eve is like prom for adults in which yeah. you put a, you sink a lot of money mm-hmm. and time and, and expectations into a night that's never going to be as fun as you think it's going to be. And Usually true. Yeah, when you put it like that. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I got a feeling is that, but in a song. Yeah. So that's my answer. Makes sense. What would be your go-to karaoke song, then? Ooh. Take your time. <laughs> you know, I've I've cycled through a few over the years. I love karaoke. Oh, man. I really have to think about it. You know what I song know. I love doing is Call Me by Blondie? Cool. It's just yeah. like, it's short it's got good energy it's only a little bit out of my range how does that go i think i don't think i've heard that song so, call me on the you can call me oh yeah yeah anytime. oh that's blondie that's blondie oh, i didn't yeah, know that was blondie what? either yeah. wow i had no idea okay yeah that's a good like yeah I also do, uh, if I really can't decide what I want to do, I'll do Just a Friend by Biz Markey because you can't, you don't actually have to be able uh, to sing. No, you don't. That's just my talk. go-to. Like, I don't sing, so I'll always pick one I could just, like, talk. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. good for backup. And then, like, the everybody gets in on the chorus. And any karaoke song where you can get a little bit of audience participation, yeah. I think, is It's usually, good. like, primo karaoke at that point. What are your go-to karaoke songs, if you don't mind my asking? Oh... Well, we were just talking about karaoke earlier. Yeah, I work at a karaoke bar, which is great. Which one? Wow. Shameless plug. Um, I work <laughs> at Shoes Pub. It's oh, cool. on Lincoln Park. And it's really small and it's really cute. Um, we do karaoke Thursdays and Saturdays. Oh, and come it's like open until like 2.30. It's ridiculous. It's nice. probably one of the most best and overwhelming experiences to be in. Because it's like really cool you're meeting a bunch of people and you have like a bunch of drunk people on the stage singing journey or singing <laughs> bright side by the killers oh or like mgr panic at disco it's just like hilarious and just people just go to work on these songs like sometimes we have like actual singers who come in and it's like get off the stage and just look bad oh no <laughs> i love like an overzealous mcr performance yeah. at karaoke black parade that's all i care about <laughs> nice. when I was. yes thank you <laughs> nice mine i would say usually anything by tlc Nice. Oh my gosh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Can't go wrong with any of those. There was one, um, this random, like, this, these two people who came in and just sang Usher, like, Burn, 
Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Good or bad? No, it was great. Like, I wasn't nice. expecting because they just walked in. They're just, like, standing there. And they, like, put the song in. And they went up. And I'm just like, what are they singing? And they sang Usher. And I'm like, oh, my God. And everyone in the bar just, like, sang along. That's awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Mm. So, you cool if we transition to your story? Right? Yeah. That's All right. Cool. Okay. So, we're excited. We have your story for us today. So, go ahead and roll with it. I didn't even have to set an alarm. I bolted out of bed and put a brand new hoodie on while an alternating soundtrack of Kanye West and Eye of the Tiger played in the background. This isn't how most people probably get get ready for their big break, but I had been waiting for the chance to appear on Jeopardy for years, and I was going to look good. I'd fallen in love with Merv Griffin's trivia juggernaut as a kid, rushing home from school to make it home in time for the 3.30 start. Maybe even getting a question right here or there. Now, years of reading, months of training, and weeks of putting in work at the gym had prepared me. America was going to see me. And I was terrified. A thing they don't tell you about going on Jeopardy is that the hardest part of the whole thing is coming up with the pithy little anecdote that Alex Trebek, now San's iconic mustache, talks about in your little get-to-know-the-contestants interview. Most people who are on Jeopardy like to talk about how they collect antique teapots or their recent vacation shenanigans, while Trebek tries to maintain his composure and not break into a condescending stream of word vomit. Oh, the llama stole your hat while you were hiking the Inca Trail? How delightfully wacky. I have never heard a story like that before. And was that the highlight of your experience while you contributed to the slow destruction of these iconic ruins? So when the producers came to me, I suddenly realized that in my 21 years of life, I had done approximately zero interesting things. No cool collections, no running with the bulls. And in terms of my hobbies, well, binge-watching Top Chef, maintaining an ill-advised friendship with benefits, and attempting to memorize all of Forgot About Dre don't make for outstanding pithy game show contestant interview material. Every possible angle came up blank. It was the first time all day I thought about how, despite doing everything right, being charming as hell at the audition, the daily workouts, practicing at home, armed with a pen that I furiously clicked to time my answers, I could still totally fuck this up. I could still say or do something totally embarrassing that could send shame and dishonor upon my family, or worse, be used as a clip on the soup. (laughs) I muddled through the first day, including triumphing in Double Jeopardy by knowing a lot about the New Testament for a JCC camp-attending Jewish kid, and advanced to the next round. There were lots of high fives, celebratory beers, and resisting the temptation to tell everyone what had happened. The dread didn't hit me until the next day, when I sat in the makeup chair again. One of the producers tapped me on the shoulder to assign me the wretched task. See, that's the downside of winning, is when you win, you have to be on the show again. And when you're on the show again, Alex needs another TV-ready, bite-sized snapshot into your being to interview you about. As the cold makeup sponge smeared foundation across my face, I tried to think back to something, anything I could use. The weekly karaoke night I attended. My time at the college newspaper. Oh, I could talk about the bar fight I accidentally started when I studied in Spain. That one didn't feel ready for syndication. (laughs) Well, 
the producer offered. What about what you're studying in school? You're a journalism major, right? I go with the story I always thought sounded cool because I was in college and thought stories like this were cool. I became a journalism major because I fell in love with the movie Almost Famous. Like so many other nerdy Midwesterners, I wanted to be William Miller. I was hoping this struck the perfect balance of being interesting enough for the producers, but bland enough to get past Trebek and we move quickly back to gameplay. So let me get this straight, Trebek says. You want to follow bands around the country. I nod. A beat. So you want to be a groupie? I heard nervous laughter coming from the crowd. I couldn't even respond. Maybe he didn't know what that word meant. Maybe it meant something different in Canada. I didn't focus too much on the gaff, though. We had a game to play. And as luck would have it, one of the categories? Band names. <laughs> I know on Jeopardy there's supposed to be strategy and you shouldn't play your strongest categories first or whatever, but I had something to prove now. I went straight for it. Buzzer ablazing. This Louisville band found inspiration for its name when frontman Jim James found an old coat emblazoned with the letters MMJ. Who is my morning jacket? Boom. Did either of these other lightweights even know who MMJ was? Had they listened to evil urges and gotten paid a pittance to review it for their college newspaper? No. This Chicago-based pop punk band named themselves after radioactive man sidekick from The Simpsons. I'm feeling cocky now. Who is Fallout Boy? All those hours driving around in my mom's Buick listening to Grand Theft Autumn had paid out handsomely. I ran the category. The crowd showered the studio with polite applause. I proved, as a young woman who loves music, that I knew my shit and wasn't just following around rock stars in doe-eyed admiration, and it was going to take me to the finals, baby. I was the goddamn Khaleesi of syndicated TV game shows. And what did that putz do? Gave the camera a Jim Halpert smirk and said, See, what did I tell you? I lost in Vinyl Jeopardy, but still felt on top of the world. I'd lived out a childhood dream, checked one off the bucket list, held my own against the other nerds, and would return to Columbia, Missouri a hero. And a hero's welcome I received. At first. Friends came in from faraway lands like St. Louis for the watch party. I was interviewed in the local papers and showered in rum and coke. This was college, after all. Classmates I hadn't spoken to in years and relatives who regularly misspelled my name offered hearty mazel tubs. Then came the puking Gatorade hangover. The internet commenters at said local papers who had more to say about my weight than my TV success. And then the groupie episode. The Twitter outrage directed at Trebek and at me. The think pieces. The interview requests. I had anticipated being on the soup, but not being the lead in a master's thesis about sexism in music journalism. This actually happened. I got interviewed in some St. Louis-based alt-weekly, and I'm still embarrassed to read it because I definitely gave some ridiculous answers. Because you know how sometimes you're in college and you think you know everything? People called me groupie at my favorite karaoke bar. And in an incident, I could probably spend a whole nother podcast discussing... When my brother, the North Shore's preeminent battle rapper, would compete for the next few months, his rap battle opponents used me as a punchline. If only I had chosen the story about the bar fight in Spain. I spent far too much time in the years that followed blaming myself for picking the wrong anecdote, or not having some searing comeback ready, or giving better post-show interview responses. 
But I'm done being embarrassed about it all, and I'm done apologizing, because I played the game and I was damn good. And even if I had done none of those things, Alex Trebek still didn't have to respond to a young woman interested in music with a demeaning label, even if he meant it all in good daytime TV fun. If nothing else, at least in some corners, this TV host gaffe sparked a conversation about sexism in music journalism and issues women face in male-dominated fields, and hopefully about the many messy layers of power dynamics, sex, and fame that feed a loaded term like groupie. And if I hadn't gone on Jeopardy, I wouldn't have had that moment of glory, or gone on to graduate school, where I majored in popular music studies, duh, and my friends wouldn't have a pithy conversation starter to introduce me to strangers at bars. I guess my point is, there'll be times when you screw up, or when other people screw up, and you have no control over how it affects you. You just have to put your hand on the buzzer and keep playing. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. So you cool with a little Q&A time? Sure. Your story? Cool. You, you had some Jeopardy stuff already oh, lined yeah. up. You want to start us off? I was always wondering, like, how exactly does a person get on Jeopardy? Like, what's the process? So I don't know about the, for the regular show, for the general competition, mm-hmm. for the college tournament, they have an open call for auditions Mm -hmm. once a year. I actually auditioned twice. The first step is you take an online test. Mm -hmm. It's 50 questions, general knowledge. And then the highest scoring folks from that get sent to one of four cities to audition in person. Thankfully, one of those audition cities was Chicago, so I could just go home for the weekend. So for the in-person audition, you have a 50-question written retest to make sure you weren't just, like, Googling answers. Even though, like, for the online test, it's, like, you get maybe 10 seconds per question. Like, there's not really enough time to Google unless you have, like, two people on either side of you Googling. Not that I'm suggesting that (laughs) as a strategy or recommend or encouraging people to do that. And then they do an interview and you play a mock game to assess your gameplay skills. So from, I think at the both my Chicago auditions, there was probably about 40 people. So I think they take probably 150 or so for in-person. And then of those, 15 are actually on the show. Wow. Jeez. So what was it like the moment you found out you were actually picked? Um, you know that scene in Little Miss Sunshine where she finds out she's gone to the pageant and she's like losing her shit? (laughs) Um, that was me. I found out, I got out of class and had a voicemail from the producer and I was, they wouldn't call me if it was a no. Right. And they were like, you can't really tell anybody at this point, which I definitely did not. Well, I immediately called my family and then... Um, G chatted a bunch of my friends. So don't tell anybody. I was like, don't put this. I was. I basically (laughs) said, just don't put this on Facebook. Yeah. Like you can like that was more. They didn't want like the list to leak on social media, but that's a lot to ask you to hold in that information. Oh yeah. (laughs) And then after you're like we in the time between taping and the episode actually airing, it was about six weeks. So then. That was another six weeks I had to, like, keep quiet about what actually happened. Oh, wow. But uh, we did celebrate that night with karaoke. I sang Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis. <laughs> nice. 
definitely fits. <laughs> so what was it like having your friends and family watch on TV? Um, it was actually super fun. I was still in school in Columbia, Missouri at the time. We had a big watch party on the top floor of one of the main like bars in downtown Columbia. And it was a like pretty sizable group. And a couple of my friends drove in from St. Louis for it. So that was really cool. And it was just like looking around and it was like my freshman orientation roommate was there. And like, it was just kind of being able to look at a room and seeing kind of all the people I had amassed in those four years as well, all kind of coming together and celebrating like that to me was the coolest part of this being able to you know celebrate this silly accomplishment <laughs> with everyone and just have a good time and like you know some of you know my dorm mates who now had kids brought their kids and yeah that that to me was the coolest part of that nice awesome i'm just trying to figure out this whole jeopardy thing like <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like really impressed by the fact that like this is something that somebody's done and i'm talking to them like it's just like whoa like so like when did this happen in in, like university like were you senior were you sophomore junior i was a senior okay and like did you study before taking that's a good question because like it feels like a test (laughs) right yeah like you're cramming for an exam right three different types of exams (laughs) (laughs) so the thing about jeopardy is you're gonna know is the questions aren't that difficult you're gonna know 80 percent of what's on the board and your opponents are gonna know what's 80 uh i would say 80 percent of what's on the board where you make the most difference is reaction time it's all about timing your buzzer exactly like you have to hit it right on like the last syllable of the question so i would practice i wouldn't like Instead of studying up on information, mm-hmm. I would watch the show and I would have a little pen that I would click just to get the mm-hmm. rhythm of buzzing in down. Nice. Yeah. Like that strategy. But weirdly enough, um, like band names and New Testament history <laughs> ended up being, <laughs> being the categories that I was able to edge people out on. Mm-hmm. Nice. Just luck of the draw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's any game like that. It's going to be luck of the draw. Yeah. You're gonna, there's going to be things you know. There's going to be things that your opponents know more than you about. And that's kind of the fun of it is seeing where it where it goes. Yeah. Are you aware of the categories before you like started? Or are no. you aware? No. No. You have no idea what's, what's going to be on the board. Okay. The one... Thing is, with Final Jeopardy, you know what the category is when you make your wager, but you don't know what the question's going to be. Okay. Or the answer, I guess, because it's your answer in the form of a whatever. Yeah. Okay. So after recording, is there like a get-together with all the contestants, or is everybody kind of like go their own way because you were just competing with each other? How is that? Do you hate that? each other afterwards? So you can no, everyone, <laughs> everyone got along really well. Um, I'm still at least connected on social media with the bulk of the people that I was on the show with. It's kind of funny seeing like the paths that, you know, some of them have taken. One is like a TV critic at Newsweek at Timer Newsweek. I forget which one. Okay. Uh, one had like has become one of like a 
very prominent writer on Catholicism in America. So it's, you know, cool seeing kind of where their lives have gone. And I don't know how much, you know, if they've written about it or how much they think about this experience. In terms of the the night of, we all um, met in one of the other contestants' hotel rooms and just kind of hung out together the, after the last day of taping. Nice, cool. Did you ever get an apology for um, that little statement? No, and it's <laughs> it's funny. Part of the reason I wanted to bring this story in is because there was just this vulture interview with Alex Trebek, kind of looking at his career and his, you know, they kind of the all the Me Too stuff mm-hmm. came up and. He made some comment about how it's a scary time for men because you, you know, don't know how to navigate situations and just like, just be a person. (laughs) It's like scary time for men, like to be respectful. It's so hard. It's so hard to not be a dick. (laughs) And he talked about how, you know, some he's gotten criticism on, on both ends of the spectrum from people who say he's nicer to women contestants and people who say he's more condescending and sexist towards women contestants and you know with such a long career it's very possible that it could be both yeah but yeah i'm based on my experiences with him i'm like not surprised he would have a bad me too take yeah that's Um, unfortunate but like yeah yeah there's some other line in there about how he said he would most like to have like Kevin Spacey on Celebrity Jeopardy, but he's like, I can't really say that now. <laughs> but you did say but it. But you did say it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of can't take that back. No. no. It's already done. So. Yeah. So the point being, he's not going to apologize. Okay. And it's a shame that a lot of his views seem to be very reductive and not an accurate representation of what is actually happening in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're already out of time. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this podcast. I'm going to be telling everyone I know to listen to it and I'm excited to, to hear from um, all the other storytellers and voices that you'll be bringing in. So thank you so much. Thank and you. I wish you both the best. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Queer Stories. Also check out the creator of our podcast music, B. Studwell. She's an incredible queer artist from D.C. And you can check out her music at bstudwell.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to rate us so others will be able to find our podcast. Talk, Talk to you all, all next week. week. Next time on Beyond Queer Stories. The the thing that uh, is stopping me from doing theater as much as I'd like to is typecasting. Mm, okay. Because I know the last show that I auditioned for, I just felt it in every molecule of my body that I was going to mm. be cast as somebody's bodyguard. Yeah. And not to sound too, you know, pretentious or high and mighty or have a super high opinion of myself, I'm better than being just a bodyguard. Mm-hmm.